just as they did. From Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, this is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is bringing us a study on Christ's letters to the seven churches listed in Chapter 2 of the New Testament book of Revelation. In our first two classes, we've looked at the letter to the church at Ephesus. It had everything that made it a good church, but it had lost its first love. In today's and the next lesson, Steve will be discussing the letter to the church at Smyrna. This church was undergoing a time of severe trial and testing, and the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs the church and all future believers on how to prepare for persecution. At the end of the program, I'll tell you how you can listen again to this study and how you can order a CD with both parts of this message. Lakeside Community Chapel is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Pastor Steve would welcome a visit from you at any service. You may call the church at 727-441-1714 for information about service times. That's 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside and has a vast archive of messages by Pastor Steve. You can go to the website, browse through the topics, and stream or download any of the messages for free. That website is versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Now let's get into our study. Here is Pastor Steve. I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. I want to read from there to verse 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last, who is dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. On the date of February 23rd, the year 155 AD, 60 years after Jesus wrote this little letter to the church in the city of Smyrna, the people of that city were gathered together for the public games. This was a custom that they, the citizens of Smyrna did every year. They gathered for the public games. And in doing that, at that time, they gave their allegiance. They affirmed their allegiance to Caesar by saying, Caesar is Lord. And then they would offer a sacrifice to his name. Well, on that day, when they gathered for the public games, there was a mob mentality that took over, and a cry went up from the crowd. The cry said, away with the atheists, and let Polycarp be searched for and dealt with. Now, what were they talking about? Christians then were known as atheists because they did not believe in the gods of paganism. They did not believe that Caesar 
was a god, and Polycarp was the leader of the church at Smyrna. He was the, what we would call the pastor-teacher. Polycarp was actually a disciple of the Apostle John. He was an old man at this point, and maybe the last man alive who had any kind of an intimate friendship and relationship with the Apostle John. So the search took place for the 86-year-old man of God, and when they found him, here's what one scholar says took place. Not even the police captain wished to see Polycarp die. On the brief journey to the city, he pled with the old man, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to offer sacrifice and, and to just be safe and be saved? But Polycarp was adamant that for him, only Jesus Christ was Lord. When he entered the arena, the proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making sacrifice to Caesar or death. Polycarp said, and by the way, these are very famous words in church history. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning, and Polycarp replied, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire that awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. So, as the scholar goes on to say, so the crowds came flocking with wood and sticks from the workshops and from the baths. They were going to bind him to the stake. Leave me as I am, Polycarp said, for he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved, even without the security you will give by the nails. And so they left him loosely bound in the flames, and Polycarp was burned at the stake. Now, Polycarp was actually a young man when this letter that I just read to you, this letter that's found in Revelation chapter 2, this letter to the church at Smyrna was written. It was just a young man, but apparently it had a profound impact upon him so that 60 years later, he was able to face martyrdom with great grace and triumph. He conquered. Christ's letter, this letter that I just read to you, it's a brief letter. The letter to the church at at Smyrna offers encouragement today for us, not just an ancient letter for men like Polycarp, but it's for us as well. Now, remember where we are in the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 2, and so chapters 2 and 3 tell us about seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, along a postal route, seven churches that were really representative of all kinds of different churches. Last week, we looked at the church at Ephesus, and it was characterized, and each of these churches have certain dominant characteristics. The church at Ephesus was characterized by being the church that left its first love. They let their love for Christ diminish. But if the church at Ephesus was the church that left its first love, then the church at Smyrna was the persecuted church. And the church that triumphed in the midst of persecution, this was a real church. It was 35 miles up the coast from Ephesus. If you follow each of these churches, if you have a Bible map at the back of your Bibles, you will see that these churches follow a, a route along a highway. They start at Ephesus, they go up, and then they, they turn east and then southward and come 
down again. So this church of Smyrna was 35 miles up the coast, north of Ephesus. It represents the persecuted church of every age and persecuted believers. It is a letter that is most relevant for us because it still encourages us. It teaches us how to handle persecution. Now, this was a great church. Most of the letters that we'll study have some commendation and then condemnation, just like we saw last week. The Lord commends Ephesus, but then condemns Ephesus. There is no condemnation to the church at Smyrna. There's only one other church like this that the Lord does not point out any flaws in the church, and that's the church at Philadelphia. So this was a pure church, a pure church. The suffering church was a church of purity, which only makes sense because suffering does bring purity. Suffering will either drive us from Christ or it will drive us to Christ. In this case, these these genuinely converted people were driven to Christ and they handled this properly. So this was a suffering church. Ephesus, by contrast, was a thriving, active, if you will, a mother church, a church that, that kind of gave birth to probably all the other churches in that part of the world, but without much devotion to Christ. Smyrna, on the other hand, was probably a smaller church, probably a smaller offshoot of Ephesus, but a much purer, much godly church. And we have a lot to learn from this church. This is a message for us because while you and I have not faced much physical persecution in America, uh, there's no guarantee that that will remain. The church around the world, especially in Islamic countries, suffer greatly, horribly. And it may very well come here, or the Lord may send you to a place where there is persecution. So how can we prepare for persecution? It's by understanding what Christ has to say to the Christians at Smyrna, because this is a letter for us. What are the specific truths that will help us to face persecution? Jesus gives us four truths here, four truths that he gives to the persecuted Christians at Smyrna. Absorb this, internalize these truths, and when persecution comes, you will be able to face it properly, just as they did. Now, the first truth, as we get into our text, the first truth that Jesus gives to help us handle persecution properly is is this. The first truth is this, that we are to know that Christ himself was persecuted. He was persecuted. We're not alone in this. When someone writes a letter to us, we've shared our problems with someone, they write back a letter to us, and they say something like, I know what you're going through. I know what you're suffering. You know what? Whenever that happens, I want to know, do you really know what I'm going through? Or are those just words? Are you really qualified to speak to me about the problem that I'm facing? When you say, I know what you're going through, I want to know if that's really true or if those are just words. Well, that's why the Lord opens up this letter to the church at Smyrna by identifying himself with them in their persecution. He, he opens up in a very unique way. Notice verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and who has come to life says this. Now remember, all of the opening descriptions in every letter comes from chapter 1, the vision of the glorified Christ. He starts off by saying that this too is a letter to the angel of the church 
at Smyrna. As we said last week, and we'll say every time, the angel probably is not an angelic being, but the pastor teacher of this church, perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps even Polycarp as a much younger man. It is very possible that he was pastor teacher for all of these years. But regardless, it was to the pastor teacher who was to relay this to the church. He identifies himself, notice, as the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. Now, this is different than the way he identified himself to the church at Ephesus. Look at the church at Ephesus, verse 1 of chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Why does it change? Because Ephesus needed to know that the Lord was in control of their leaders. They had such wonderful leaders, Paul and and, and Timothy had led there, and other great men. But they needed to understand that Christ was in control of the church, not the leadership. But the, the church at Smyrna didn't need a lesson on pastoral leadership. They needed a lesson on handling persecution. And so Jesus, notice, he identifies himself as the first and the last. He begins by saying, I'm the first and the last. Why? Because this speaks of his deity. He had no beginning. He has no end. He is the eternal sovereign God. And he's the one they were suffering for, meaning that he is the one true God. You see, Smyrna was a city filled with pagan religion and all kinds of false gods and goddesses. There was a a hill there by the name of Pegas. And on that hill were all kinds of temples devoted to false deities, yeah, the deity uh, Apollo and Aphrodite and Sybil and Zeus and others. But the Lord wants to immediately impress upon this church that he is the one who they worship, and he understands what they're going through because he was persecuted too. He was persecuted, and he died for being persecuted. He's persecuted to death, but he's the one they are being persecuted for. He is the one who is before all other deities, and he, deities that have been created in man's mind, and long after those imaginations have faded, he will still be around. He is the first. He is the last. He goes on to say, he was dead, and he has come to life. In other words, I know what you're going through. You're fearful of death, but listen, I can sympathize with you because I died for the truth too. The one who is eternal also died because the one who is eternal became a man. And he was killed as a man, but he reminds them, but I'm alive. You see, Christ identifies himself as the one who can give them victory over the fear of death. Why? Because he experienced it. He said in John 14, 19, because I live, you shall live also. I died for the truth, and some of you will die for the truth, and I'm alive, and you will live as well. Now, someday, you and I may find ourselves in a prison awaiting death for the cause of Christ. That seems so far removed from our friendly little confines here of Lakeside, but it may very well take place in our lifetime, and you and I may find ourselves in a prison awaiting the sentence of death for the cause of the Lord Jesus. 
And we need to understand that he once died. And we need to remember that. He died for the truth. He died at the hands of wicked men, but the grave was not the end for him, and it is not the end for us as well. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, that Christ in his suffering has left us an example to follow in his footsteps. He is our, our model. He knows all that we're going through. He is the one who was persecuted as well. We're not in this alone. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us and the persecuted church. But it's one thing to know that Christ died for the truth. It's another thing to know, is he really concerned about my suffering? Does he really care? And so the Lord goes on after saying, introducing himself as the persecuted one, the Lord goes on to tell them that he is concerned. This is truth number two. He is concerned for those who are persecuted. Notice verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In other words, the Lord is saying this, I know all about what's going on in your midst. I know all about what's going on at your church in Smyrna, and I care. Our Lord is not an aloof deity. He's, he's not a supreme being who has no concern about us. He's, he's not distant, and he's not unconcerned about our problems. He says, I know. He says that with a loving heart. I know. I know what's going on. I have not forgotten you. I'm standing by you in this persecution. Now, what did Jesus specifically know about this church? Well, he knows everything, but he highlights a few things concerning their persecution. Number one, I know your tribulation. I know your tribulation. The word tribulation originally meant to to crush beneath a weight, to have pressure. In classical Greek, the word paints a picture of a huge rock crushing what, whatever is beneath it. So these believers at Smyrna were under constant pressure. That's what tribulation means. They were literally having the life squeezed out of them. Now, why? Well, you have to understand a little bit about the city of Smyrna to know what was going on. Unlike Ephesus, the ancient city of Smyrna still exists today. It goes by a different name, Ismire. I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but it looks like that. Ismire, it still exists today. It's one of the largest cities in Turkey, and it has anywhere from 200,000 people to perhaps even half a million people. But in ancient times, Smyrna was very loyal to the Roman Empire. They were known as a, as a city that had extreme loyalty to Rome. In fact, in one of Rome's earliest fighting campaigns, I mean, Rome didn't become Rome overnight. There was an empire that grew. So in one of Rome's earliest fighting campaigns, when the soldiers were suffering from cold and, and hunger, the citizens of Smyrna actually stripped off their own clothes and sent it to the Roman soldiers. And as a result of this, there was a great loyalty that the citizens of Smyrna had to, towards Rome and Rome had a, had a very precious type of relationship with the citizens of Smyrna. And so Smyrna became a, a center for emperor worship. They were close indeed. And anyone who refused to publicly confess their allegiance to Caesar was crushed, was killed. 
tribulation. They had to say Caesar is Lord. In fact, annually, every person was required to burn incense on the altar of Caesar and say Caesar is Lord. So Jesus said, I know your tribulation. I know what you're going through because you refuse to say Caesar is Lord. What else did he know about them? Secondly, he says, I I know your poverty. Poverty often goes along with Christian persecution because unbelievers decide to exclude you from their guilds, and then there's economic sanctions and boycotts against the Christians who refuse to worship Caesar, and there would be uh, be all kinds of attacks on their homes and businesses. And so these people were destitute financially, but Jesus adds, but you're really rich. What he's saying, you may have nothing in this world that the world has to offer, but I remind you that in me, you have everything. You know, Scripture says that in case you're, you're going through economically difficult, difficult times, it's good to remind ourselves that in Christ we have everything. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice these precious few verses that remind us that we, we have everything that we need. 1 Corinthians 3, notice verses 21 through 23. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. All things, Paul said, belong to you. In Ephesians 1, 3, we're told that we have all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. In James 2, 5, we're told that God has made us rich in faith. Let me read this to you because it's a great, great statement. James chapter 2, verse 5. James says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Jesus became poor that we might be spiritually rich. So he says, you, you are rich. And you know what? That's a marvelous truth to, to think about. We're probably not destitute like the people at Smyrna were. But think of this. Someone has put it this way. If you have everything but Christ, you have nothing. If you have nothing but Christ, you have everything. And we, folks, have everything. In tomorrow's class, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this study on Christ's letter to the church at Smyrna. Be sure to join us for that study. You can listen again to this study by going to our website, www.versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. You can stream it or download it free of charge. There are many Bible studies available to download, Just go to the Message Archives page and choose messages by book and chapter of the Bible or by date of the broadcast. That website, again, is versebyverseradio.org. While there, you can sign up for our free podcast service so you won't miss any future Bible studies. You can also sign up for our free newsletter. Verse by Verse is an outreach of Lakeside Community Chapel. It is a listener-supported ministry and is dependent on the gifts and prayer support of listeners like you. If you appreciate the Bible teaching you've received from this program, please consider making a donation to help keep it on the air. You may donate online by going to our website at versebyverseradio.org 
and clicking on the Giving tab. Or you may call us at 727-239-0306 during business office hours. Someone will return your call. That's 727-239-0306. Thank you for helping in this great teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff. Until next time, may you apply the truths of Scripture daily to your life. I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Thank you so much for listening to Faith Talk 570 and 910. We truly appreciate all of you. And this week, we're spending time discussing ways that we can connect with you even more. If you use Facebook and you like our station, How about letting us know by liking our Facebook page? It's a small thing, but believe me, it means a lot. And it also gives you a chance to stay on top.